One of the highlights in our early years as a church was our annual family Christmas pageant. This was a full-blown production with children playing the cast of characters that are in the Christmas story. They were in costume, we had a live baby, an angel choir singing upbeat rockin' Christmas carols, and the whole thing was a big production. They weekly rehearsals, there were lines to memorize, it was hard work, but the kids loved it. And the reward was to be able to perform this production in front of a packed house of family and friends and the people of City Church. Now, our kids would start talking about this production in September, maneuvering to get just the role that they wanted. And no role was more coveted than that of Mary. So typically, there were about a half a dozen or more fifth and sixth grade girls maneuvering, trying to get that coveted role. They dearly wanted to be the star. And if they got it, they were elated. And if they didn't, they were deeply disappointed. Well, speaking of Mary, we're in a series on Mary, one that will take us not just through December, but through the end of January as well. And our goal is to tell the full story of Mary's life, not just the familiar starring role that she plays in the Christmas story. For many, our knowledge of Mary ends after Jesus is born. If not altogether, at least she fades into the background. But the truth is, is that Mary did not disappear when the angel choir headed back to heaven and the shepherds went back into the fields to keep watch over their flocks at night. Mary was around for the entirety of Jesus' life. She was there from his birth to the cross and beyond. She raised him. She taught him the stories of the Bible. She was there when he began his public ministry and she was there when he was executed on a Roman cross. She was among the first to see him when he rose from the dead and was there when he ascended back into heaven. In other words, Mary had a, a front row seat for many of the most important events in Jesus' life. Now, unlike the impressions that many of us hear in contemporary retellings of the Christmas story, hers was not a charmed life. It was hard. That's why thinking back on the Marys that we had in all those years of Christmas pageants, I wonder how many of those little girls would have wanted to play her if they understood the full story, if they had known more about her actual life. Through the centuries, many have honored Mary, fascinated by her story. And sometimes she's been made a little too much of, with embellishment and legend filling in the gaps around the story that we have. Sometimes that's been unhelpful. At the same time, others, out of concern not to go too far, have overreacted, treating Mary with neglect. Now, while it's possible to fuss over Mary just a little too, bit, too much, it's also possible to ignore her in a way that is disrespectful to her story. In most ways, Mary is quite ordinary. She was young and poor. She would have been easy for us to overlook. And yet hers is an extraordinary story. She lived a courageous life. She was a young woman of great faith, humility, and willing obedience. Today, we're going to look at the most significant and memorable episode in her life. And in some ways, it's the climax, which is ironic, because she was at this time just a teenager and lived 35, 40, 45 years more uh, in life. The way this story is often told, it has this fairy tale aura, a magical story that's told in a way that makes it sound enchanted and dreamlike. So while I don't really want to break the spell, it is important to honestly look at the facts of Mary's life, at the real Mary, the humble teenager plucked from out of the blue to be the mother of Jesus. 
Now, it may be hard to hear Mary spoken of in such human terms, and yet I believe Mary's story is nonetheless compelling. Here is someone who would otherwise be lost to us in the fog of history. Her story preserved because of her willingness to receive the message that the angel brought to her that day in the story we heard last week and her trust in accepting her part in this cosmic drama. While telling the story in this way, in some way removes Mary from that pedestal that she's often placed upon. To do otherwise would be dishonest. It makes Mary unreachable, obscuring the lessons that her life has to teach us. So here are the facts. Mary is, by, all, by any measure, the most unlikely of heroines. She came from an out-of-the-way place, a town so small and insignificant that some would say, slandering it, can anything come good, good come out of Nazareth? She wasn't royalty. She didn't come from money or a prominent family. Because no mention is made of her parents, some speculate that she was an orphan. She was like every other peasant girl in Nazareth, living out an ordinary life in an ordinary town with very modest dreams. Dreams of a quiet life with her carpenter husband and whatever children God would bless her with. It's hardly an impressive resume. And yet Mary is the first to learn of God's plan, the one God chose to be the mother of the Son of God. Christian tradition taught, and has long taught, and I agree, that Mary was a remarkable young woman, that she was unusually full of faith, someone who proved herself to be trustworthy. And yet that is not Luke's point. He doesn't tell us that Mary was more righteous and devout than the other little girls in Nazareth. He makes it clear that what Mary received was a gift, a gift beyond anything she could ever have expected and anything that she deserved, an extravagant gift given her because of God's amazing grace. Now, the story begins with some familiar words. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Caesar's decree greatly inconvenienced Joseph and Mary. With his nine-month pregnant fiancée, Joseph had to travel from Galilee to Bethlehem. And when they arrived, they didn't find a place at first to stay. So when Mary's water broke, they found themselves probably in the animal quarters that were attached to a private home, a place where the only bed for the infant Jesus was in a feeding trough. Despite all the beautifully illustrated Christmas cards that we send one another at this time of the year, this scene is anything but picturesque. It was dirty, noisy, and smelly. Nothing like what Mary had envisioned herself when she imagined the birth of her firstborn. And yet this is where it all happens. Luke says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. Luke then expands the scene. He pulls back the vision so that we can see a bigger scope. And in fields nearby, he tells us that some shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks by night. Like nearly other, every other character in the story, the angel, uh, the shepherds receive a visit from the angel, first one and then a company of angels. And the angel's message to these humble working class guys was remarkable. He says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Then he directed them to the place where Jesus was born. 
But before he left, an angel choir appeared and sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace on those, to those on whom his favor rests. Now, we shouldn't just let these words that the angels spoke wash over us without understanding how dangerous and even subversive they were. These are the days of Herod the Great and Caesar Augustus. Both men demanded complete and unequivocal loyalty. They brutally eliminated any challengers. Caesar, ironically, identified himself with peace. Now it was a peace that was a brutal peace secured by the might of the Roman army. The angels tell the shepherd that a new king has come. And so in doing so, they echo some words that we looked at last week. When Mary had the angel visit her and when the angel left, she said this, the mighty one has done great things for me. Now listen, she says, he has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. The implications of the words spoken to the shepherds and the words that Mary reflected after the angel's visit are that Herod and Caesar are coming down. With the arrival of Jesus comes the beginning of a confrontation between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. Jesus is king, not Herod and not Caesar. So it's no wonder that Jesus himself would eventually get in trouble with the authorities, both Jewish and Roman. He was a threat to the established order, and eventually they all determined that he had to be gotten rid of. Now, as the scene begins to fade to black, Luke tells us that Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart, which means that for the rest of her life, she thought deeply about what she'd experienced, what she'd heard, trying to make sense of it all. It turns out for her to be a lifelong task and one that we're going to return to in future weeks because Mary had her own misconceptions about Jesus and had to readjust those expectations over time. Some of you may have wondered why we entitled this series, Blessed Mary, the Mother of God. And frankly, some people are uncomfortable, not with the first part, but with the second, the Mother of God part. In fact, we even discussed whether or not to retitle this, Blessed Mary, the Mother of Jesus. The objection to the second half is that Mary, as Jesus' mother, had nothing to do with his divinity. That even if Jesus is, as we believe, the Son of God, that didn't have anything to do with Mary. One of the fundamental truths embedded in the Christmas story is what theologians call the incarnation. That's the idea that Jesus, fully God, willingly became a human being. This means that Mary's pregnancy was both a divine and a human event. Divine in the sense that Jesus doesn't have an earthly father, but he did have an earthly mother. In this way, Jesus was unique, fully God and fully human. Neither of those deluded. They're both true at the same time. So in that sense, Mary is the mother of God, the God-bearer. It's why her cousin Elizabeth said when uh, Mary visited her, she said, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? But it is possible to misuse this term mother of God and use it in inappropriate ways. You see, Mary should be honored. She ought to be admired for her faith and trust and humility and submission to the will of God. But we're also rightly concerned when she is venerated and adored and devoted to in ways that go a little too far. 
Mary does play a leading role in the story, but her role is to lead people to Jesus, not to herself. The baby that Mary delivered was human and divine, fully God and fully human. So to reject the title mother of God could be to reject Jesus' full divinity. Yet our respect and admiration for Mary can go too far. One early Christian leader put it this way. He says, let Mary be held in honor. but Let the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be adored and no one adore Mary. So what is it that we ought to take away from this part of Mary's story? How can we live it out? Well, here's a thought. Mary is easy for us to relate to because she's ordinary and humble and if not for this dramatic change of direction in her life, would have been completely overlooked. And that's the way many of us see our own lives. And for most of us, that's okay. We're not looking for headlines. We're not anxious that our lives go viral. In fact, a quiet life would be just fine. But God interrupted Mary's plans. And when he did, she had a decision to make. Would she refuse what God was asking of her or would she say yes? We stand in a long line of people who have said yes to God's interruptions. Abraham, Moses, Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the Good Samaritan, St. Paul. And what we learn from all of those stories is that any yes said to God will not be wasted. Like Mary, your yes may not be easy. It may even lead to places of pain and challenge. But when we say yes to God, he will use us. When we say yes to God, he will use us. So the question for all of us today, for you today, is will you say yes to God? For Mary, that would be eventually leading to the sacrifice of loss because one day she would stand with several of her closest friends and a young man named John and watch her son Jesus hanging on a Roman cross. One of the questions that I'm asked most often every year is what is God's will for my life? How can I know God's will for my life? And it's an important question. But sometimes the question is not, what should I do, but will I obey? It's not, what should I do, but will I obey? And frankly, it's a much more important question. Saying yes to God may lead to difficulty and more difficulty in our lives, not yes. Saying yes may mean to setting aside our plans, even giving up hopes and dreams that we may have cherished for a lifetime. It may mean living with risks without the promise of reward. For Mary, God's favor was not a life of bliss, but a life that included hardship and pain and certainly joy as well. And yet she responded, even as a young woman, saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And with that, Mary gave herself wholeheartedly to God. Christmas is not about how much we get or how much we get to eat, but about our willingness to say with Mary, I am the Lord's servant. May your will for my life be fulfilled. Because Mary said yes to Jesus, here we are 2,000 years later talking about her. God didn't choose Mary because she was the most righteous little girl in Nazareth. The magic of the story comes when a very ordinary girl makes a difficult decision a decision to say yes, yes to an infinitely bigger story. And we too can be like Mary, people 
who with simple acts of saying yes, a simple act of faith, join a cosmic drama that God is weaving together even today. Would you pray with me? Father, the story that inspires this season is built on one of the most important miracles in history, the moment when the Son of God became one of us. Yet for this to take place, a remarkable young woman had to say yes to you, a yes that brought great blessing and also tremendous hardship at the same time. May we follow her example. Whatever it is that you ask of us, may we say yes to whatever it is that you direct us to do. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.